Welcome to the Mornings with Sue and Andy podcast for Tuesday, December 12th. The federal government is investing in your smile. Federal Health Minister announcing a $13 billion dental plan that will be rolled out over the next five years. We got the latest on the plan and an update on all the news out of Ottawa from Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. One in two Albertans will face a cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. That's the bad news. The good news is here in Alberta, survival rates are on the rise. We discuss the great work being done in our province with Wendy Beauchene, CEO of the Alberta Cancer Foundation. And the 2023 Generosity Index has been released. Just how generous were Canadians this year? And how did we as Albertans compare against other provinces in the giving department? We got a full breakdown from Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Federal government is investing in your smile. Yesterday, Health Minister Mark Holland announcing a $13 billion dental plan that will be rolled out over the next five years. Joining us to talk about this and all the major news out of Ottawa is Mercedes Stevenson, Global News Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. Hi, Mercedes. Hey, how are you? Excellent, thanks. Thanks for joining us. This is a a big plan. So this kind of all kind of came together, didn't it, because of an agreement with the Liberals and the NDP, correct? Can you give us a little bit of a, a backgrounder on this dental plan? Yeah, exactly. So this is actually an NDP idea. And the idea is that, I'm sure I don't tell folks out there, they'll know that your dental care isn't covered the way that your health care is. And so for a lot of folks, that meant they couldn't get dental care coverage. Um, They know it's very expensive, as as we all know, sometimes when you have to have that work done. And they proposed that it should be the federal government who who is uh, putting money towards some of this. And so the NDP, when they were making an agreement with the Liberals to keep them in power, that reason why this minority government keeps going was that the Liberals had to do certain things. And one of the things that they had to do was implement this dental care. Now, it's not universal dental care. It didn't go as far as the NDP may have initially liked, but it does deal with uh, children and and low income, and uh, therefore it checks off one of those big promises that the Liberals owed the NDP for keeping them in power. And really, in the end, it's pretty monumental for Canadians, isn't it? I mean, we know if you don't have proper dental care or any, it can really be a burden on the healthcare system as a whole, can't it? Yeah, and it's, you know, it's interesting. If you have um, all kinds of other pains or, or fractured bones and, and, you know, you go to, like, the emergency room, they fix them, mm-hmm. but teeth, that's not the case, right? Um, and we're not talking about, like, just getting your teeth polished and cleaned here. We're talking about, like, dental care for, for major issues. Uh, primarily, this is designed to try to prevent and address for people who otherwise couldn't afford that and, and to avoid them sort of getting into crisis and all the complications to health that can happen if teeth get infected or you lose them and how that affects the body. Uh, but, you know, the flip side of it is also that it doesn't come cheap. Even limited dental care is, is super expensive. Um, and, of course, then the other big thing that the NDP wants in all of this is pharmacare, right? Um, so that's another one that they are still pushing on. They want a universal. It's not going to be universal. There have been some steps taken on that. Um, but the Liberals have to follow through on these promises to the NDP or they could pull their support and go to an election. And given the polls right now, there's yeah. obviously reasons why they would not want to do that. Yeah, still, uh, you know, Trudeau, very, very low, the Liberals overall, right? So uh, um, the dental plan itself, it, it's expensive, though. Is is that a concern? Are you hearing anything about that coming out of Ottawa? Yeah, it is a concern for some folks. And, and there are some people who, you know, say that this is not the purview of the federal government. It should be the purview 
of provincial governments in in the way that healthcare is. Of course, the federal government puts money into healthcare as well, uh, but it's not actually the federal government's responsibility. People are saying it's well intentioned in some cases, but it's you know you're looking at at billions and billions of dollars, and that's why the government says they've limited in part, right? This is not just anybody's dental care. It's certain people who qualify for it, um, and it's it's obviously based on income and means, not desire. Uh, but no program like this comes for free, right? Mm-hmm. And it does come with a government that says they're trying to cut spending, and so they're sort of caught in this difficult political trap because on the one hand, they're saying they want to cut spending, and they're making that argument for things like the military, and yet on the other hand, they have some very expensive promises that they have to follow through on because they rely on the NDP for their support. Yeah. Uh, different topic that you covered on the West Block, uh, Jonathan Wilkinson, Energy Natural Resources Minister, talking about uh, criticisms from the oil and gas industry industry. Uh, what was that discussion about? So we were looking at a couple of things. Um, number one, they'd announced an emissions cap last week uh, for methane, and then they'd also announced this sort of cap and, cap and trade system for emissions on the oil sands. And the targets were actually a lot lower than what they had initially promised. And they said that's because they talked to industry and industry told them um, this is actually very unrealistic. And that's interesting. The second sort of climb down on an environmental policy from this government that said they're not going to consider it, they obviously uh, are, are worried about some of this, worried about their pools, worried about how it plays. Um, when I asked the minister if this was, in fact, uh, a cap on production, which is what the provinces and some of the industry alleged, she said no, um, and it's not a cap on production. It's a cap on emissions. Of course, emissions are created during production. Um, and that this was essentially necessary and it's, it's an early framework. And that the government has made it clear that they have a, an environmental priority here and they are going to move forward with it. It's interesting, though, because despite a lot of folks being upset about this and, and saying that it, you know, de facto capping emissions kind of caps production because if you don't have a way to reduce emissions um, to those levels to keep your production at the same level, then that forces you to redu- reduce production. Uh, it's like saying, you know, drive your car around but don't have any emission come out of it. Right. Well, of course, right, it's going to happen. Now, they're working on technology to deal with it. How effective that technology is, like carbon capture, is is up for debate. Um, but I find it just really interesting politically that this was introduced as late into their mandate as it was, um, and a much softened version. Because I don't think that's what we would have seen from the Trudeau government necessarily a couple of years ago. Uh, speaking of, still no uh, movement from the Liberals from Justin Trudeau in terms of home heating or helping out Canadians in any way, shape, or form on that front. Is there? No, I, I asked if there was any further consideration um, of extending the carbon tax break that was given to people who use home heating, he, pardon me, home heating oil. Uh, and what the minister said is that home heating oil has gone up so quickly, so exponentially uh, in areas that rely on that and don't have an alternative that they're not considering it. He insists that people who use natural gas, like most of Alberta, are getting more money back through the carbon tax rebate than they are spending. Um, and he says that was not the case for people using home heating oil. And so so there is no consideration of extending that pause or that relief on the carbon tax to other parts of the country. Hmm. Uh, let's talk as well about a, a marathon voting session last week. What, what was the, is that the, that was the Conservatives forcing that? Correct. 
It is. So this is sort of a, a procedural thing you can do. And, and the Liberals used to do similar things when they were in opposition. And it's a way of sort of registering your discontent if you can't stop something. So the uh, Conservatives have introduced a number of amendments on, on some of this legislation related. It was all about they, they didn't want the carbon tax, but trying to make a point. And what it forces is votes over votes over votes. And they're now for, uh, threatening to keep MPs here through Christmas. I would point out they threatened to keep MPs here through the summer, and that didn't happen. Yeah. So <laughs> we'll see how thrilled their own MPs are about this thought. Uh, but it's basically a way of uh, making life difficult for the government. You have to be there to vote because if you're not there to vote and you miscount and you lose the vote, obviously that's an issue. Uh, but the Liberals said they would not entertain any of the Conservatives' amendments, um, not one. And then the Conservatives ended up voting against some weird and unrelated things, like, for example, some of the support to Ukraine, which the Liberals were then out talking about saying, you know, the Liberals are, are so dogmatic about their carbon tax that they're willing to support uh, not sending more support to Ukraine uh, in order to achieve this goal. So we call this the silly season um, in mm. Parliament here <laughs> because it just it kind of devolves sometimes to people doing things that uh, it's kind of like a, a little kid. They know what the other one's going to do mm-hmm. and they do it just to get them to react. Uh, but you know what? It's all it is. Uh, Liberals say an abusive process, and you could argue it is, but it also is completely allowed underneath parliamentary rules. So there you go. It's like poking and prodding your siblings in the backseat of the car on a family trip, right? Yeah, exactly. Getting paid six figures a year to do it. Oh, that's maddening for Canadians, for sure. Uh, I wanted to touch on this before I let you go. Uh, Military misconduct continues to be an issue. I mean, you broke this wide open. What? How many years now are we continuing to talk about this? Oh, yeah. We are into um, year two and a half at this point, and a survey came out from Stats Canada last week um, saying that an even higher number of members of the regular force say they've been sexually assaulted for their last survey in 2018. That's not a good direction to be trending in. The question is, in part, we don't know the answer, how much of it is more reporting versus an increase in sexual assaults? Uh, but to me, the really concerning part was the number of people who said they didn't report because they didn't believe any meaningful action would be taken. Huh. Um, and that obviously is, is a big issue for the military to continue to need to work on. Ongoing topic. I, I don't think uh, 2023 is going to end that topic when we end the year. So we'll continue to talk to you about that. Thank you so much. As always, we covered a ton. Have a great day, Mercedes. Thank you. Thanks, Mercedes Stevenson, Global Ottawa Bureau Chief and host of the West Block. According to the Alberta Cancer Foundation, one in two Albertans will face a cancer diagnosis in their lifetime. That obviously is the bad news. But the good news is, here in Alberta, survival rates are on the rise. Joining us to talk about is Wendy Beauchene, Alberta Cancer Foundation CEO. Good morning, Wendy. Thanks for being with us. Good morning. Happy to be here. Uh, let's talk about the key factors that might be contributing to the increase in survival rates for those suffering from cancer in Alberta. What can we attribute it to? You know, I, I, first thing I'd have to say is advancements in screening and early detection initiatives. For instance, last year, the Alberta government lowered the age for breast cancer screening from 50 to 45 years of age. That's pretty significant just with that one move. It was expected to diagnose, I think, I believe around 200 more cancers a year. So that's pretty significant because if you're going to have to get cancer, you want to catch it early, right? Yes. So I, I'd first start with uh, improved screening and early detection initiatives, of course. Second, you know, there's been such continuous advancements in research and treatments. Oncologists would tell you that in the last 10 to 20 years, when patients would come 10 years ago, there would be no viable treatment options. But today there are, 
And so one of the ways Alberta really punches above its weight class is through clinical trials. Clinical trials uh, give researchers uh, to help them discover new and better ways to diagnose, treat, manage cancer, ultimately improving outcomes. And in some cases, Alberta's actually double the national average with the amount of patients being offered these trials. So that's certainly another positive move in the right direction for sure. Why so is Alberta so important when it comes to clinical trials? What, what are we doing differently then that other provinces aren't involved in these? You know, I, I think other provinces are involved. I just think we have such a great culture of research and curiosity here. And um, a lot of the, the clinical trials we are offering are actually made in Alberta treatment. Mm. So um, actually, you know, new discoveries that are made here right at home in our own backyard. And they're really motivated to continue with that momentum. Really important. So that kind of leads me to the next question, research or partnerships that, that are really having an impact on cancer care outcomes in Alberta. Is it our facilities? Is it, the, you know, the partnerships with research? Is it all of it kind of combined, do you think? You know, I think it is exactly everything combined. It is it is not one magic solution, not one silver bullet. Cancer is very complicated. It's a very complex illness. But more and more, um, researchers and clinicians are learning more. And, and there's just a true dedication here to, to keep moving the needle. I also have to say, thanks to the support of community, as one of the reasons why Alberta is able to offer more clinical trials, um, the community fuels pretty much all of the cancer clinical trials that are offered in this province. So really grateful for that. And another example of community support would be the mobile breast screening units, which are completely funded by the community, go to 127 rural communities oh. to help those people living in rural and remote communities get access to, to critical screening services. Yeah, that makes a big difference for sure. Uh, let's talk about the Alberta Cancer Foundation, and you've got some important funding announcements coming in 2024. Can you give us a little bit of a tease as to, as to what's to come? <laughs> well, of course. Really excited to be a partner with Alberta Health Services and, and to be opening the new Arthur J.E. Child Comprehensive Cancer Center in, in 2024. I don't know if anyone who lives in Calgary has driven by that building, um, but it's hard not to see be feel optimistic and want to continue the momentum as we as we open that building in, in 2024. What makes it so special for those of us? You know, I, we've, I think probably everybody's seen the construction of it and it's a beautiful building, but what's happening inside that makes it so special? Yeah, thanks for, thanks for phrasing it that way because a building's just a building. It's really about the people and the research that's happening within those walls to improve patient outcomes. One of the things that we're involved with specifically is the Own Cancer Campaign, which is a $250 million campaign to fuel exactly that, find new and better ways to detect and treat cancers, and that is what we're doing. And so far, we're already at $220 million of our $250 million goal, so I think that demonstrates the support and, and motivation of the community to help Albertans facing a cancer diagnosis. Will people be coming from other provinces to, to use this facility? Because we don't have one in every province in this country, that's for sure. You know, absolutely. If the best place for patients to get treated is, is at the Arthur Child or the Cross Cancer Institute in Edmonton, it happens now. And it, and it will continue to happen um, for sure. You know, there are aggressive uh, treatment resistant cancers and um, Alberta Alberta want, is leading the way in, in some of those. And so to be a center of excellence for that, that will continue to happen. 
Ultimately, though, when you're diagnosed with cancer, what do you want? You want to be as close to home as possible, Mm -hmm. and that really is our mandate. So if you even look at Alberta, we want patients to be treated as as close to home as possible. You want home more than anything else when you're facing that journey. Wendy, you know, if you, God forbid, are are someone who gets a diagnosis of cancer, what do you do? I mean, how, how do you even know where to turn for help? Yeah, you know, it is it is very difficult to hear those three words, you have cancer. Um, you know, the first thing I'd say is I, I hope people feel optimistic. Outcomes have come so far, and people should feel hope and optimism as they embark on their cancer journey. Um, really need to lean on their healthcare team um, and, and help them through that journey. You know, one of the areas we do fund in Alberta is patient navigation. So these are nurse navigators which help patients along their cancer journey. And, you know, it's very complex. You go here for some treatments, you go there for some diagnostics. And so having someone guide you and help you. So, you know, my first thing would say, lean on your clinical team, ask for support. There's incredible support in the community, organizations like Wellspring and others. Mm-hmm. And and use every tool you've got in your toolkit to help you on that journey. Scary for sure, but good news for us who live here in the province of Alberta should we face a diagnosis. Thanks so much for your time, Wendy. Appreciate it. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Wendy Beauchene, Alberta Cancer Foundation CEO. You can find out more about the incredible uh, Cancer Foundation, uh, Calgary Cancer Centre that we have here in the city and lots more details as well at owncancer.ca. Owncancer.ca, good place for you to go for resources. Did you open up your wallet and give to charity in 2023? Joining us to break down the 2023 Generosity Index is Jake Fuss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. Hi, Jake. Good morning. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate you joining us. Talk a little bit about the the generosity index. What's the purpose of it? Yeah, well, every holiday season, we track the generosity of Canadians. And what we found in this year's study is that the percentage of Canadian tax filers donating to charities has reached the lowest point since the year 2001. And we also found that the share of income donated is generally declining as well. Um, This is obviously bad news for those who rely on donations for essential things like food and shelter, um, especially in the holiday season. It certainly makes things difficult, but you can kind of understand it with the state of the economy these days, right? Well, one of the interesting things that we're looking at in the data is that uh, this data actually comes from 2021. So it's um, really even before some of the concerns that have come over inflation and cost of living as well. Um, So, you know, we could see, you know, similar trends emerge um, in 2022 and 2023 as well. Um, But certainly, you know, we are seeing, you know, right now problems for food banks uh, and and other places right now. Um, So a lot of vulnerable Canadians right now are are struggling, um, especially now, um, you know, when they're relying on things like donations for for those essential needs uh, currently in Canada. Jake, let's start with the national picture and then we'll break it down by province. But how generous were Canadians overall this year? Yeah, so if we look at, um, you know, the share of income donated by Canadians, generally about half a percent of their income was donated to charities. Now, this is uh, significantly less than what they donated, um, you know, a decade or two decades ago. Um, And when we also look at the percentage of tax filers donating, you know, we have less than one in five Canadians claiming charitable donations on their tax returns. Um, If we rewind the clock a little bit and look at the year 2001, we see that one quarter of Canadians were actually making donations to registered charities back then. Um, So we've really seen substantial declines um, nationally um, and in basically every province in Canada as well. How how do we overall as a country compare to other countries? Are, are Are we big givers or not so much? Well, there's actually a pretty big difference between Canada and the United States. 
Um, what we see is that uh, Americans generally give uh, almost double the amount that Canadians do as a percentage of their income um, when we're looking at uh, charitable donations on the tax returns. Um, this is a trend that's really persisted for, for quite some time. Um, you know, we consistently see that United States jurisdictions generally um, donate significantly more than Canadian jurisdictions. Um, so there's been that consistent gap really over subsequent decades. Um, and we've really seen that Canadians have been less generous than our southern neighbours for many years. Uh, how about us here in Alberta? How do we compare to other provinces? Well, we've seen some troubling trends in Alberta's generosity over the last decade. Um, you know, we've seen drops in the share of income donated by Albertans. It's dropped by 15% um, over the last decade. We've also seen the percentage of tax filers in Alberta donating to charity drop by almost 30% over that time period. Um, so we've seen pretty substantial drops, um, but having said that, Alberta is not necessarily unique. Um, we've seen big drops um, in basically every province across Canada, um, and Alberta is now kind of in the middle of the pack among the provinces when it comes to um, those, that charitable giving on both percentage of tax dollars donating and the share of income donated by Albertans. Jake, do we have any sort of information? Is it is this a breakdown of, of where the dollars are going? Like, can you tell where people are donating? Is it to the the big charities or are people going to sort of, sort of the smaller grassroots charities? Yeah, it's a good question. The data doesn't exactly show us um, where the money is going, um, but we you know we've seen these basically consistent trends. You know, this is just another year um, that we're seeing, um, and you know, there's a lot of news reports out from you know food banks and other organizations also pointing out that they're they're having these significant challenges right now. Um, and we've also seen these significant challenges um, in past years as well. Um, really during COVID and, and some of the years coming out of COVID in 2022 as well. Um, so, you know, even though we don't know exactly um, where all the, the charitable donations are going because the data doesn't tell us, um, we can see those consistent trends really across the board um, in every province right now in Canada. And, and we do know, you know, for some charities, for example, the food bank, you know, they're able to stretch a smaller charitable donation and make it, you know, turn into so much more when you actually donate dollars. Is that something that, you know, most charities are, are being, are, are good at getting the messaging out, I guess, is what I'm wondering? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly a concern right now. I mean, I've seen a lot of news reports, you know, about um, a lot of these food banks, you know, struggling too. I mean, a lot of them are also facing challenges with inflation and cost of living, um, even just on their expense side of things as well. So it's even more expensive now for the charities to even deliver these services to Canadians. Um, but, you know, certainly we're hoping these trends turn around um, in the holiday season so that, uh, you know, Canadians can give and, and make sure that the most vulnerable in our society have those essential things like food and shelter, because um, that's, that's certainly a priority for Canada right now. Thank you so much for breaking it down, Jake. Appreciate it. Maybe people hear this and they, they think, okay, I got a couple extra dollars. I can, I can give a little bit more before the year's out. Absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Thank you so much, Jake Foss, Senior Economist with the Fraser Institute. It's tough. I mean, yes, some of these stats come from a little bit earlier, but times have been getting a little leaner and tighter for the past few years. And certainly 2023 is the perfect example of that, I would imagine. You know, when you're struggling to, to put food on your own table, it's tough to donate to a food bank. As much as you probably want to, difficult to do so. So if you're able this year and you're able to help out, obviously it's, it's going to be very, very much needed. And uh, let's see somebody texting in to say when you, you compare Canada versus the U.S., for example, Americans don't have the same amount of taxes taken off their paychecks as Canadians do. Uh, well, maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe they just are a little more 
apt and able and, and willing to dig a little bit deeper during difficult times. Who knows the reasoning behind it, but uh, if you can help out so many, so many great charities really in need this year and uh, before the year is out, you know, it does help on your income tax return as well. So maybe that's something that uh, you can do and, and benefit your community at the same time.